Welcome to the Gay Buddhist Forum, where teachers from all schools of Buddhism offer their perspectives on the Dharma and its application in modern times, especially for LGBTQI audiences. These talks are offered freely to the world and made possible by appreciative listeners. If you would like to support our efforts to share the Dharma with underserved audiences, please visit gaybuddhist.org. There you can donate, find a list of upcoming speakers, or enjoy many hundreds of these recorded talks dating back to 1996. Okay, welcome back, everyone. Welcome to the Gay Buddhist Fellowship. Let me uh, introduce John. John has four decades of practice and study uh, in the Zen, Theravada, and Advaita traditions and was formally asked to teach by Adyashanti in 2002. He's a contemporary non-dual spiritual teacher who offers a compassionate, heart-centered approach to awakening. Uh, in addition to his work as a spiritual teacher, John is also an experienced healer and teacher of somatic embodiment. Uh, he has extensive training in Alexander Technique, Qigong, and Zero Balancing. And he's the author of a book called Author, I'm sorry, <laughs> Ordinary Freedom and the Unbelievable Happiness of What It Is. So there's two books. Those are two, those are two different books. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. The first one was ordinary freedom and the other one was the unbelievable happiness of what it is. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Thank you for the correction. And yeah. all right. Take it away, John. Uh, well, thank you so much for inviting me. I always love coming back to, first of all, um, you, I'd like to just give a little bit of background. Some of you who have met me before may have heard a little bit of this, but I'll just do a quick history kind of background, both of my spiritual process and my kind of unfoldment there and also uh, kind of my history with this group <clears throat> and with uh, being gay and coming out and all that. So I'll just do, that'll be a quick kind of, you know, I'll do that quickly. And then I have a talk that I, I really want to share with you today that I've been uh, not a prepared talk, but just certain things I'd really like to share with you today. Um, and I know we have, it's a quick meeting, so I have to, have to track because I can ramble on. <laughs> Some of you probably know. Um, first of all, I, um, I had an awakening <clears throat> in 1969 when I was 16. So it's actually almost, it's five decades, over five decades of practice now. And, uh, so we need to update that bio. Um, the, um, I didn't know what happened to me. I was not religious or spiritual. I didn't find out for years. And it led me to yogic practice, Zen practice, Vipassana practice, mindfulness practice, and eventually the direct path of, which is awareness of awareness. Um, as, uh, I'm sorry, I don't remember your name was saying that, um, yeah, my approach is, sort of coined as the heart-centered approach to spiritual awakening. So it's um, it's really a combination of Zen, emotional healing and integration, awareness of and awareness of awareness, all kind of combined. I've had uh, over four decades of, help, of teaching and working with people individually, and um, I'm learning all the time, just like uh, all, all of us are learning all the time. I'm learning all the time, becoming more sensitive. And it's an incredible journey at this point. Um, I'll mention later again, but I offer now with since COVID's happened, I'm doing all online private work with people all around the world and also online satsangs and retreats, which have been amazing. And those are uh, usually three or two to three 
Saturdays out of the month and you're welcome to come. We just, we get about a hundred people from around the world and it's a two hour gathering where there's a silent sitting talk. And then I work with people individually and it's, it's very powerful. It's very supportive. And, uh, you can just go to my website and check it out if you're interested. It's like 20 bucks for two hours. So, you know, you'll be throwing away two bucks in two hours at worst. Um, and have to listen to me more, which is, you know, you can always turn off the sound. Um, okay. So let's see what else. So the other thing I want to mention is that also in 1969, when I was 16, um, I came out and I had, uh, you know, realized I was gay probably. I started noticing it when I was probably, I don't know, fourth grade, fifth grade, something like that. And I came out to my parents and some close friends. And in 1969, I marched on Polk Street. I grew up on the peninsula in Burlingame. And I marked on, marched on Polk Street in 1969 with a hundred other people, uh, for gay liberation. And that March the following year became the Gay Freedom Parade. And, um, and then eventually when I was, I think after I'd moved back from Tassajara, yeah, I think it was back, I moved back in 1979 and I was Baker Roshi's, who was the abbot of Zen Center at the time. I was his assistant for a couple of years. And I think in 1980, uh, myself, uh, Isan Dorsey, who I knew was Tommy back then. I don't know if he'd been ordained yet and was Isan yet. Isan, who founded the Hartford Street Zen Center and, uh, and so forth. We, he and I and another friend, uh, Billy Graham, who was a, I think he was the founding mother superior of the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, uh, and also was a TM practitioner, transcendental meditation, uh, singer. He was a great guy. Um, he, the three of us founded, uh, Maitri, which was the first gay Buddhist group. And I believe this group is an offshoot of that. I don't know how it all ended up splintering over the years, but we used to meet, um, at the Zen Center's guest house, which is across the street from the Zen Center, a block from here. And, um, we used to have speakers and so forth. And then, and I think eventually we started, I think, the AIDS hospice started there. The Maitri AIDS hospice, I'm pretty sure, started there in the guest house. And then Isan, Tommy Dorsey, Isan Dorsey, uh, got the place on Hartford Street and started the Hartford Street Zen Center. And he and Phil Whalen and other friends, um, I think they brought in the, the, the Maitri, the AIDS hospice there. I'm pretty sure that was happening there. So that's just a little bit of history. So you know my background. Um, yeah, that's, that's a lot to, to sort of lay on you all of us all at once. But I just thought it'd be good for you to know a little bit about my background in case you didn't know me. <sighs> okay, got that out. <laughs> so what I'd like to invite you, my, my work is very experiential, actually. It's not really geared towards building uh, beliefs or concepts or even ideas about practice. It's more a kind of hands-on direct approach to really learning how to pay attention in such a way that if the natural emergence of what we call true nature, awakened consciousness presence is happening to you, it's, it's going to be facilitated by how I support people and also by a kind of presence that's here that you may or may not be aware of. Um, what I like to say is that you know, people might say, well, how do I know if I have an authentic emergence of awakening, if that's really my calling or if it's really happening for me? And I'd say, if you have a questioning mind that's really 
is experiences the existential angst of what is the meaning of life, not just some intellectual curiosity, like an interesting philosophy topic, which is fine. I'm not judging that. I'm just saying if you have more the kind of what am I doing here and what's the point? And that kind of is really churning in you, which was churning in me when I was 16, actually. Um, that's probably an indication that you have the natural emergence of presence moving through you. And it will naturally bring you to places like this, to teachings, teachers, practices, and so forth. Um, and this is really what I want to talk about today was what is practice truly and what is our what is our responsibility and relationship to that process because i think those attitudes are probably more important than anything because we can often get in the way of a natural unfoldment in us with the beliefs we have or things we've heard or learned about how it's supposed to be what we've read what someone else has told you and so forth so a lot of my work really supports the individual in really tuning into themselves in a way that isn't based on belief, but really based on discovery. And that inner discovery is built into what we are in the life force itself. And if you tune into that deeply, it will guide you to uh, emotional healing and spiritual uh, liberation naturally. So what a lot of people don't understand is that, you know, practice is actually the refinement of attention to what is. It is not the attempt to get an outcome. It is never an end game focus. If that's, if that's going on, that's an ego desire to get an outcome. I want to be enlightened. I want to be free of suffering. That's fine. You feel that you express it. That's the emotional part of our human work, right? Very important. So that's not that charge isn't electrifying your system and you can clear that. So you do your therapeutic emotional clearing work. You don't just bypass it with following your breath or tuning into presence. That creates a kind of spiritual, uh, almost dissociated identity. Okay. And there's a lot of problems with that, which I won't go into because when you truly access presence, this, this connectedness, it literally is power. And it's not good, bad, right or wrong. It's just power. And it can be used in many ways, as we well know. So this is where you need to be careful in understanding what you're tapping into, honestly, and and be careful about the beliefs that you create about it as well. This is why having a questioning mind is essential, because ultimately, the realm of freedom is the realm of the unknown. The realm of freedom is free of a personal self that knows anything about anything. So the example I like to use, if people wonder about this, is, so in, in other words, I hope I'm not talking too fast, but I feel like we've got limited time and I want to give you as much as I can in a short period of time so we have time for questions, sitting together and so forth. So forgive me if I'm like going a mile a minute. If we had two hours, I could, you know, I could calm down and I could just gently, easily schmooze and, you know, we could just hang out and it could be easy. But we're on a time frame. So I'm going to try to get to the train on time. Um, forgive me. I'll have some hot water. Okay. Take a breath and relax. Okay. See, I've got a lot I want to share with you. Um, I always, you know, because my spiritual process and my sexuality and all of that were happening at the same time, 
like Chris was saying, I remember you, Chris. Good to see you, by the way. Um, yeah, it's great to see you. Um, I was approached by the Harvey Milk Institute to do classes for them in meditation. And I started doing that. And some of those people started my regular groups and then asked me to start teaching retreats. All the work I'm doing and have done for the last, I don't know how long, I never did any people ask me to do it. So that's what's been happening for the last long time, uh, four decades. And uh, so I'm constantly discovering. I'm constantly learning. I'm constantly becoming more sensitive. I'm turning 68 this week, and I, even though my body's got its challenges, uh, whatever, but I have never felt more alive, more vibrant, more fulfilled, more at peace in my whole life, honestly. And so, um, and I see people around me who've been with me for years, and, and they come and they're they're like a walking basket case, and I can't believe. The transformation is just, it's, and it's not me. It's not, it's not a personal thing at all. It's, it's really this truth that we all are that we tune into and surrender to and, and really allow to heal us and transform us. And I am just so grateful to be a part of this community of all of us around the world who are literally, uh, cultivating consciousness in all the ways that we are. So I really want to, um, tell you how grateful I am that you're here, how much I appreciate um, and understand how hard it is to do meditation practice, to face oneself, to face one's dark side, to turn towards what's difficult, as we used to say in Zen, and to learn how to be healed and transformed. So it's so important to have patience it's so important to have a proper perspective. That's really what I want to give you today. It's so important to have uh, permission to be an imperfect human being. It's so important to have compassion towards one's own suffering and other suffering. It's so important to have, uh, I'm getting emotional, <laughs> forgiveness um, and to not get caught in perfectionist ideals of spirituality which really create a kind of almost fascist mentality. Um, yeah. Okay. So, so, so what is practice? So practice is actually the refinement, the continual repetitive refinement of attention to what is. That's all. It's simply bringing your attention back. So if you learn Zazen or if you learn mindfulness practices and all those, which I did for decades, um, and I'm very familiar with that training and taught Zen meditation, taught uh, mindfulness and Vipassana meditation for decades. Um, you know, you, you bring and did retreats for, I mean, that was my life for many decades. Um, you continually bring yourself back. You continually bring your attention back, don't you? So it's really an art. It's a science and it's a craft. And if you have, it's never about getting an outcome. Remember that. So if you have that, well, I'm not, I, I sit down and I, I, I didn't feel any better after my meditation. It was a waste of time. Or my mind wouldn't stop going. It was completely insane and I can't meditate, right? So there's all of these, res, we, there's all the stuff that comes up in, in when we stop and pay attention. So I understand all that. I know how to respond to all that in a way that can really continue to support your deepening of understanding and experience. So that's important to know. It's the refinement of attention to what is. It's not about getting an outcome. Why? Because awakening or enlightenment, which you may be seeking, you may not be, you may not care, you may just be interested in 
you know, meditation as a therapeutic modality or, a de- or, you know, a lowering of stress, lowering your blood pressure, a health thing. That's fine. I, you know, but there are those of us who, let's just say, uh, went for gold or wanted to go for gold, <laughs> wanted to go for the finish, whatever that was, you know, um, it doesn't matter. It's the emergence of that, the natural emergence of awakened consciousness is completely natural. It's as natural as, you know, the sperm and the egg coming together and turning into you and me. Like, you didn't do that. (laughs) You know, you didn't go into the laboratory and say, okay, now how am I going to invent a human brain? How am I going to make the sunrise? You know, this this sounds crazy, but the truth is the way we think about transformation and healing often is in that framework, like somehow, oh, I'm responsible for getting enlightened. Well, I'm not getting anywhere in my practice, so I must not be meditating enough. I'm not committed enough. And these are things I hear all the time um, <clears throat> when I'm working with people. I'm just the wrong karma, the wrong path, the wrong teaching, the wrong teacher, the wrong whatever. You know, or I'm just or or, or the opposite. I am getting it. <laughs> That's almost worse, where you actually think you're getting it. And ego grabs a hold of a little bit of insight and goes and puts out a flag and starts getting a following. God forbid. And that that also happens. So this is really a very interesting, slippery path. Right. And so what I encourage people to be careful of is going down the rabbit hole of meaning. Be careful the conclusions you make. Because those may be a way of separating yourself from that which you don't want to feel or you don't want to turn towards. So practice is this incredible opportunity to pay attention to how you've been constructed. Not, there's no blame. There's no don't blame yourself. You know, this so many people have been programmed with shame and guilt. Oh, is this is where you need to build in forgiveness and realize it's okay to be you. All of us who are gay, this is why I love working with with uh with us, because we know damn well that people who told us whatever they told us were full of shit. Let's be honest. We knew how we felt. Look, I was 16 in therapy with a Freudian psychiatrist who um, <clears throat> our psychologist and my mother sent me to. And uh, not because she I was forced to. Was just, I decided I wanted to meet with him because I couldn't talk to my parents anymore. And I thought maybe I could talk to this guy. <clears throat> and I don't know how long it was, maybe six months I was in therapy. I was in friend with I was in love with my best friend, George, who was straight. I'm sure you've been there. And uh, when I was 16 and I had been in love with him since I was three, <laughs> right? He was really pretty. And I was like obsessed. And, <clears throat> and so this, 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 the psychologist said to me, finally, after six months, he goes, he thought he was trying to, he was still, they were still pathologizing homosexuality then. And he, and he said, it's, it's, um, what do you say to me? It's uh, narcissism. <laughs> And he said, a man can't love another man. And I abruptly stood up. The chair, wooden chair, wooden floor flew behind me. I yelled out loud to him, you can go fuck yourself. And I walked out the door and slammed the door. And I came home and I told my mother I was done with therapy. <laughs> okay. So that's who I am. That's who I, and I've always been. And so I've never believed anybody. I never followed anybody. I'm not a believer. I'm not a follower. And I actually don't attract those people. Thank goodness. I attract people who can think for themselves, who can question authority, and who could discover on their own how to let the truth within them, that is who they are fundamentally, can transform them. So that's who I am, and that's where I'm coming from. Um, so practice at best supports 
the natural healing and the, and, and the freedom from the identified self. It supports that process. I guarantee you, whether you practice or not, it's going to happen. I attract people from all over the world, and it's amazing. I don't know how they find me. Young people, 17, 18, 19, 20, 20s, and older, who've had, and a lot older, who've had spontaneous awakenings, know nothing about meditation, know nothing about spirituality. And they're having a hell of a time because they're having kundalini experiences. They can't go to work. They can't get out of bed. They're a total mess. So they haven't had the value of training, meditation training, yogic training, martial art training, whatever. Because what's very obvious to me and those friends of mine who are sort of resonating on this frequency is that meditation and these practices were invented by realized people for realized people. It wasn't invented in order to get realized. You don't meditate in order to get realized. That's total crap. That's why in Zen teaching, you know, the cons, well, you know, I don't Basho or whoever's sitting there and, you know, the teacher comes over and goes, what are you doing? He goes, I'm, I'm meditating. He goes, why are you meditating? He says, I want to get enlightened. He goes, you can't get enlightened by meditating. <laughs> People go, well, why am I meditating? Right? So that's an, that's an ancient con. It won't get you there because you are already here. That's the point. But that's not some groovy, be here now, you know, you know, platitude. It's the, it's, it's the description of reality when you become free on those moments. And I'm sure many of you have tasted this when you're free of your personal self, when you're in the zone, so to speak, when you're having peak experience, you're not there. You're totally merged. And it's exhilarating, isn't it? So when you have, you go on a retreat or whatever, and you're sitting and you have this connectedness, you have this taste of freedom or this glimpse of freedom, it's like, well, of course, it's, it's, it's Shangri-La, it's heaven, it's, it's the promised land, it's where you want to get to, and then all of a sudden you find yourself back in the desert, you know, with sand blowing in your face and going, shit, what happened? How do I get back there, right? And so <clears throat> this is this is what got me on the path. I had this transformative experience, and it li- literally changed my whole life. <clears throat> I, you know, I was a concert violinist. I was going to go to Stanford Medical School, and I ended up becoming a Buddhist monk. I mean, it compl- and it, let's just say that some people were wondering, well, what about medical school? What, what about your violin? And what about, I said, well, this is, I'm sorry, but this is what's, if I don't do this, I'm going to kill myself. And that was true. I was desperate because I, I, I just, I don't know. It's, I think there's a kind of desperation in wanting to become free. Um, okay. So I think I've made this point. It doesn't, so practice doesn't cause and is not responsible for healing or liberation. If the ego believes that, then the ego is attached to the idea that it's in control. And that's literally a very, one of the many simple algebraic formulas for suffering. Control is suffering. Belief is suffering. Honestly, um, if it's attached, if it's held on, if it's what, what it really is, all of control, all of belief ultimately on that level, it's just the human nature Wanting to feel safe, wanting to feel secure. There's nothing wrong with that. So you say, Hey, you know, you talk to yourself. You say, Hey, you know, it's okay to want to feel secure. That's just human nature. So don't try to use spiritual descriptions of perfection of being and all to 
marginalize your human nature. It's essential that you understand, appreciate, and allow your human nature. Otherwise, if you do awaken, you will not get it. You will not be integrated, and you'll actually probably be a dangerous person who could easily hurt a lot of people. And that happens, and that's the story of all the bad authority figures and cult leaders and gurus that we've that we know about. That I have worked with so many students who've thank God survived some of those atrocities and uh, many, many students like that. So I've heard it from the horse's mouth. And this is an area where you need to be careful. You need to be respectful of the power and profound energy that you will be and are tuning into honestly. Okay. So the other thing to say about authentic practice, and then I'll slow down because I think I've done my download um, is that true authentic practice engenders engagement. If you're doing practice and you're bored, that's not practice. If you're doing practice and you don't want to be doing it, well, that could be practice. I'll get to that. Um, How you bring your attention to that and how you work with that would be the difference between whether you're practicing or whether you're just trying to get a result. Um, My brain is going too fast for me. I'm going to slow down. Um, let's see. Ah, so true authentic practice engenders engagement, which means it's like exercise. If, if you like to exercise and I do, and as I get older, I've had to adjust what I do because now I can't, let's just run. I can't jump. I can't run up and down the three flights of stairs. I live up on two stairs at a time. Like I used to do when I first moved here 41 years ago into this apartment. Right. Sometimes I forget that I can't do that. And I do it and I go, oh, shit. And I might have to go see my chiropractor. I have to go see my osteopath because my back's out, you know. So but the energy is there. And so what happens is that, you know, if you exercise in a way that's really support your system, it's energizing, not enervating. And so like practice, true practice will get you more interested, more fascinated. I somehow had that. I grew up as a concert violinist. I had the training of practice early before I became a Zen student. And when I was living at Tassajara back in the late 70s, and it was, you know, 28 degrees in the meditation hall. There was no insulation, nothing, no no electricity, none of that. I don't know what's there now, but there was nothing like that. And I couldn't wait. You had to be in the cushion in the Zendo in the practice period, quarter to four in the morning. And I'd be up at three doing my push-ups, doing my sit-ups, getting my hot water, you know, washing my face before the other nine guys got into the one bathroom and, um, you know, going down and getting hot water out of the thing that did the hot water. And I couldn't wait, believe it or not, even though it was all the challenges and difficulties back then, I couldn't do it now at my age. But, you know, I was in my 20s. I was in my early 20s. Uh, I couldn't wait to get on my Zoffo and find out what I was going to discover. There's that kind of like... You know, and it was painful and it was hard. It was impossible. But somehow or other that, what do they call it? Suzuki Kroshi call it, I think, a way-seeking mind. You know, you just, you're fascinated by it. It's So you can develop that if you don't have it. You can become curious and interested in your practice in a way where you're, you bring yourself back. And let's say you're frustrated. I tell people, if you're frustrated, then your practice is working. If you want to run out the door right now, this is working right now. I'm triggered. If I tell people, I tell my students, if I'm not triggering you, it's not, it's, it's not working. 
if if you want to run out the door, it means you're cooking. It means something in you is emerging that you don't want to feel. What is it that you're pushing away? Is it your irritation? Is your judgment? Is your comparative mind? Well, he's not as mellow as that last guy we heard a couple of weeks ago. God, what's, I mean, how could I possibly trust somebody who's as hyper and like, God knows what this guy is into. You know, I don't know, whatever. I don't care really, but it's like, honestly, notice the projection onto reality that you have and without blame or judgment, take responsibility for it in a way that actually can, can bring you to a place where you're more calm or you're more at peace in yourself, you know, where you're, uh, more attuned to the deeper guiding presence that you truly are that will and does and has for me throughout these 52 years guided me and continues to this day. Okay. Let's sit for a little bit and then I'll open up questions. So I, I'll do a little guided meditation and um, I just invite you to find a comfortable position, whatever's comfortable for you, where you can sit quietly um, without distraction and as still as possible without tension. So you want to be able to sit in a way that is balanced, but not tight and held. So if that means you slump in your, in your couch or lie in your bed, that's fine. Just right now, I want you to be at ease and be comfortable being here physically. Okay, great. I'm going to hit a little bell to start the meditation and then I'll do some guidance and then we'll sit for a bit and I'll do a little bit of guidance in the meditation and then I'll open it up because I know I have to get, we have until 10 to, so we got some time. This is perfect. Um, okay. So here we go. If you're distracted right now or your mind's all over the place, you might want to do some nice full breaths as a way of centering your nervous system. I like to do what I call breathing a sigh of relief, where I just open my mouth, take a full lung breath, and release the exhale with a sigh. Like that. I used to do a few of those, can really clear some excess energy out of the system begin to settle you down and get you out of your head, get you out of thinking mind, and make it easier for you to come into sensing, feeling body. So if that helps, try a few breaths. And then you might just notice the natural movement of your breath, If you're able to feel it in your belly, below your navel, about two inches, that's a beautiful place to be aware of it. That's the hara or the tantian. Just natural breathing there. That's right. Just noticing the in and out. No controlling, no problem. Just let it breathe the way it's breathing. I can already tell as a group, you're really tuning in beautifully. So just notice what you're aware of right now. 
whether it's thought, feeling, sensation, energy, presence. Just notice what's here. That's all. Don't think about it. And notice any doing about it. Be aware of any resistance. Be aware of any trying. Be aware of any figuring out. Be be aware of any conclusions. Be aware of any comparisons. Just don't get caught in any of those. Just notice them. Notice any sensations. Come back to just being here. Notice any feelings. Just come back to being or allowing them in the space of awareness. Allowing the sensations of body. Allowing any feelings to move through. Without getting caught in the meaning of them. Opening to awareness if that's present for you. We'll sit here for a little while in silence. Just allowing what is to be right now. And gently noticing any resistance or avoidance of what is. Allowing opening to open by itself. Allowing sensations to unwind by themselves. Allowing feelings to emerge and release by themselves.
So my understanding is that I have to end by 10-2. Is that correct? <clears throat> so I wanted, I wish we had more time just to sit in silence. Again, I just want to invite you to the satsangs that I offer. That would be a great opportunity to really drop into this a lot more if this is resonating on your frequency. Um, but I think we have, if, if it's true that I need to be complete by 12, 10 to the hour, then we have about seven minutes. It's not a lot for uh, maybe a question or two. So if you have a question or just want to sit together a little bit and have me tune in with you is what I do that. Um, <clears throat> just, you know, raise your hand so I can see you and, um, and I'll, uh, I'll pick on you. Or we can keep sitting if nobody has any questions or anything they want to say. We can let the rest of the time together. Oh, it looks like Asa. Is that the way to pronounce your name? Oh, my name is Asa. Asa, I'm sorry. I am absolutely enthralled and fascinated by what you had to say today. Oh, thank you. Um, <laughs> and uh find it deeply uh, humorous also. Uh You talked about um this desperation of wanting to be free, <laughs> and I totally get it. You, okay, also good. Talked about, you also talked about authentic practice. The frustration means something is cooking. Right. Your experience of being in love with George since you were three years old and having a therapist, um, a Freudian therapist tell you a man can't love a man and flying out of your chair and saying, fuck you and never coming back is, is radical. It's, I hear that as a radical statement of the love of yourself and this awareness of your own self humanity and dignity. Thank you. You know, <laughs> and as an, exactly. That, Thank you. That's beautiful. That's very, Thank because you. as an African American man that grew up and, you know, became of age in the, in the gay community and, you know, experience, you can't come into the club because you're black, you know, at studio that upset me so much. In Studio One in, in West Hollywood, when I was when I was working as an engineer building aircraft, you know, with an engineering degree growing out of poverty. And then four days after the insurrection, um, which is basically a re you know, Confederate flags in this in civil war <laughs> in the heart of the Capitol in our sacred place. And I heard this guy tell me, he says, he says, I'm a white guy with a PhD from Stanford. He says uh, he says, um, I've, I've not chosen to fight racism. <laughs> I'm wondering, how can you be a white man and say you have not chosen to fight racism, but at the same time embrace your, and, and, at the same time acknowledge white supremacy? And so I flew out of my chair. <laughs> like, I believe what? you. I but, believe you. But the, oh, fasc it's but the fascinating yeah. thing about it is I'm sitting here with a bunch of gay people. And can you imagine what gay men would say if someone says, eh, I don't, that gay stuff, I don't deal with that. It, knowing that you're in the grips of. Well, that's what so many. Thank you. Thank so you. many of our, thank you. Is that, thank you for sharing that. Well, do you want me to respond to that or how? Please do. Please do. Okay. Well, I, I honor who you are. And I see all people as equal, period. I don't, I've never seen anybody as different. And, um, <clears throat> I'm sorry that that's, unfortunately, a lot of people have that programmed into them. But I would say that in my fortunate unfoldment and having a mother who taught me to trust my feelings and to care about humanity more than economy, 
that I uh, have always been out, you know, I was, you know, marching on the street for civil rights uh, back in the 60s. I was uh, marching for anti-Vietnam War and I was marching for gay liberation. So I've always been an activist. I'm still an activist in this world of what I'm doing and the way that I'm able to be, which is to tell the truth, because that's the number one requirement of being an activist is to be honest and authentic. And I think if we're able to tell the truth to ourselves in our own practice, which is what I was getting at, that will liberate you. The, tr- the truth will set you free, not your attempt to be free. But even the relative truth will set you free. And this is why, why often when people come out, I was working with my, one of my students who's in his 40s. He was, he's been straight his whole life. He's been women with women his whole life. But then he finally realized he came, came from a religiously fundamentalist pro-Trump family background in East, upper, in upstate New York. <clears throat> And he came out and he came, he's been sick and health problems. He came out to his family, these, you know, pardon me. Well, let's just say um, fundamentalists in the way that they are. And he's healthy now. He became healthy. And he individuated finally from that. And he's, he's, he's emerging as an, as an empowered, alive, vibrant human being. And it's been amazing to see his transformation. A lot of it was because of what I'm sharing with you today, that he went inside and told himself the truth about what he was feeling, not it's right, wrong, good or bad. Screw that. You're the only one who knows what's true. And if you're really aligned, you will know. And uh, that's, you know, even Suzuki Roshi said, and he was, he was speaking. Oh, we're almost out of time. Um, I wish I could tell you, but it was that when you're truly aligned with, what you truly are, you will be that. No, I'm going to, I'm going to make it simpler. The purpose of spirituality is to become fully human. And the friend of mine who has been one of the most important teachers and mentors in my whole life has been my, one of my dearest friends that brother David Stanley Rass, who's now 94 years old. Um, he and I, he and I, I met him when I was 20, when I was a monk and we've been close for 40 eight years. We just emailed each other the other day. He's, uh, you know, he's um, sheltering in place in Argentina, staying with friends there. He's, um, he's, I would say, a realized Christian. But we met in a Buddhist context. He was very close friends with Thomas Merton. And they, he and Thomas Merton developed the ecumenical dialogue with the Dalai Lama and started the ecumenical dialogue between Christianity and Buddhism. He was on the cutting edge of that. He's one of the most, and he was the one who told me decades ago, the purpose of spirituality is to become fully human. I sent him a brief YouTube video, a 10 minute video that was just posted recently. I sent it to him and he wrote back to John, I don't know if it's okay to say this to you, but I'm proud of you. And I wept because, because his unconditional love, just not by saying one word about life, he, he literally embodies it gave me the experience for the first time in my life of being loved. And I didn't know what that was truly unconditionally loved. And that is what we need more than anything. We need that. And we need the truth and that will bring us into the fullness of our humanity. So I just want to thank you very much. I'm getting really emotional. (laughs) Thank you very much for being here today and, and inviting me to share with you my path and my background and what I have to offer and, you are each, you are more than welcome to join me. And, and if you, if you care to, 
no expectation, no requirement, none of that crap. Um, <clears throat> I really trust your process. I know that your path is what's leading you. It's not some, it's not what you believe. It's not somebody, what somebody told you. So I wish you the best for your health. Of course, may you stay healthy and well, and may you find what you truly want to find this life and be fulfilled in the way you need to be. So thank you so much. Okay. Thank you, John. You're welcome. I know I, I went one minute over, but you know, I, no I, I think I got it done. <laughs> thank you. No worries. Um, let me post again the uh, the link for an information on Donna. Donna is the poly word for generosity. And so uh, when you contribute to the Gay Buddhist Fellowship, you help us with honorariums for our Dharma speakers, uh, for Zoom payments and rent, and we send out the quarterly newsletter to prisoners. Um, I said last week we just got a donation to – we just got Donna from one of our prisoners. He received the newsletter. <laughs> so that was pretty cool. Um, he – sent a commissary check of his uh, hard-earned dollars in prison to support GBF. Any other announcements for the good of the group? Okay. Um, so, uh, John, we usually have, we have a dedication of merit that we use, but if you'd like to offer one of your own, you're welcome to, or would you like us yeah, I'd be. I, I'd love to give you one, actually. Okay. May you be free of suffering. May you be guided to your highest through your highest good. May you find and may be brought to you peace, harmony, fulfillment in every way possible in your life. And may we, may you be open and clear to receive this guidance so you can find your way in this mysterious unknown of our existence. And may that guidance truly bring you to fulfillment and happiness and peace. Thank you, John. Thank you, everyone. Um, Thank you. I forgot to mention next week's speaker. Jerry, do you have it handy? Kirk Weil will be our speaker next okay, week. Okay, thank you. All right. Thank you, everyone. Is the room going to be open? Yep, it's open. Okay. We're open for business. <laughs> what happens when you open it's the room? Everyone. Well, we're just hanging out. If you have questions or if you want to stay for a little while and entertain questions or... Sure. I'm happy to, actually. Fellowship. Anybody who uh, did not get a chance to speak or raise their hand during the question and answer session want to say something? Clint, are you talking? I can't hear you. Go ahead. I don't have a question. I just want to say I was blown away by your talk. Wonderful, wonderful talk. Um, and I appreciate you being a speaker here so that we could hear it. Thank That's you. all. Thank you so very, much. Very, very moving. Thank you so much. It was really an honor and a privilege to be here with you, honestly. And a, and a joy for me. It's, it's, it's a great pleasure, actually. So I have a question. Um, how would, would you counsel the younger you? Who is that? Who is that? Jason. Hi, Jason. Hi. So would you counsel your, your 16-year-old self in a different way of how to approach that moment with your therapist now, like looking back on it? 
No. Is there more? <laughs> no, he got what he deserved, and I needed to move on. <laughs> no, okay. I. Well, honestly, no. That's that an interesting challenging question. Challenging, just because you know he's also a person too caught in illusion. So yeah, well, I didn't have. I guess. Okay, so are you saying if I had? Are sorry, I interrupt you. Sorry, Jen. So if you're saying if I had the, if I could be who I am now at 16, are you saying that? I'm just saying no. Could you, if you were to counsel your 16 year old self, not that the, not that the, um, you know, the the calling him out wasn't appropriate on a certain level, but is there a different, more skillful way to have done that? looking back now from all your years of cultivation. You know, I honestly don't look back in my life with regret. If I did something that harmed somebody else or was unconscious, then I'm going to learn from that. And I'll look back and do that. But honestly, no, I actually am glad I did what I did because given who I was then, given what was going on then in the world, that's exactly what I needed to do. I needed to not even think about that again because I didn't have a problem with being gay. And I didn't need to convince him of something different. If that's where he lived, I didn't want anything to do with him. It was that simple. So I hear you. And it's, if he was my client, if he was my student, if he was a friend, of course, obviously. So he's not a human being that you can. I'm fine with somebody telling you. I'm fine. I'm more. fine with somebody. If, if, if you felt moved to in, in a session with me, honestly, Jason, or in a session with me to tell me to go fuck myself, I would welcome it because that's you expressing your anger. And I think that's healthy. The problem today is people are repressing their emotions and we have an epidemic of emotion. I'm not saying that you can't express yourself. I'm just saying that maybe there's a more skillful way than having to say fuck you to someone. Well, maybe there as, is. As an adult, as an adult who has gone through cultivation of presence and consideration of other how do you find a more skillful way to do that moment? Oh, well, yeah, yeah, no. Okay. So you're, okay. So I'm not, I'm but not I'm really for an adult, adult response to it. Not a oh, 16 year old. Oh, okay. Well, that's okay. Of course. Obviously. Obviously. Well, to be really honest about that, if somebody, if I were having, let's say I was having a conversation, let's make it current. If I was having a conversation with somebody who maybe probably does believe that today, right? Because there are people who not only believe that, there are people who think, uh, that if you're, if you're gay, you're actually going to burn in hell for eternity. Right. And I have students and friends who actually were programmed into that kind of believing. So of course there's a skillful way to respond to that. And there's a lot of ways to respond to that. If somebody's open minded and maybe that would be the first question I would ask them, I say, um, I would actually ask them a question. I say, Jack, cause that was his name, Jack Schwartz. I said, Jack, how do you know that? Do you really know that's true? Are you gay? Have you experienced what I've gone through? Can you actually presume to tell me what my experience is? Or are you just quoting what you've read in Freudian psychology? And you're basically towing the line of a, uh, a you know, this is, you're a card carrying Freudian psychology who believes that homosexuality is a pathology. Is that just, is it just because you believe it or how do you know this is true? That's what I would do. I would throw it back on. Sorry that I, sorry that I had to go through what I did to get to this, but I am, but you know, I am very concerned and it brings up a whole nother point that I work with in my work all the time is that most people, and I had to 
learn how to not be repressed emotionally, but not release it in a way that's harmful to others. I agree with you. And is not destructive to oneself or others, but isn't repressing it within oneself. That's a lot of the work that I've learned myself and I work with my students. And so I think that's more what I was reacting to in your comment was that I knew that if I stuffed that in, it was going to turn into ulcers or cancer or depression. And I I thank God that didn't happen. Yeah. I just wanted to know if there was a more skillful way. Obviously as an adult now, Of course. Of course. I mean, if I were having that conversation with somebody today, of course, I would actually, I would be curious why they believe that. I would get, I would show interest in them and find out about them. That's exactly what I would do. Because I wouldn't have an agenda that they believe something different. Because I don't have an agenda that they believe something different. I respect people's limitations, actually. And I know that it's important for us that for each and every one to respect our limitations and that those will slowly over time evolve and transform. So I hope that's a better, that's a helpful answer. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, thank you. I appreciate it, actually. Appreciate it. Uh, Jeff. Would you say then that uh, you don't think there are any situations in which telling someone to go to hell is in a is appropriate? Well, that was my first answer. I, I, I think that what I was saying was that I, I didn't want to disempower who I was in the past. So the answer to that question is absolutely. And I am somebody who will fight injustice and will stand up and I will, it, it, you know, if when, listen, I'm a, even though I'm not religious, I'm, a, I'm, I'm Jewish, very reformed. I grew up right after World War II and and when Trump showed up, and I'm sorry if some of you were Trump supporters, forgive me, but when I saw him, I, I smelled Hitler. And because I, you know, somebody who's got my kind of programming can smell a dictator, can smell a cult leader, and, you know, you got to tell it like it is, as we used to say in the 60s. And so I am very much standing up and, and speaking out against injustice. And I think as much as possible, I think nonviolence is important. I think Doing it in a way, you know, Thich Nhat Hanh was somebody that I knew and I respected. My mom was in the anti-war movement back in the 60s. She met with him. He gave her one of his handwritten little books of poetry, which I actually have. And I was very much a supporter of what he was doing, which and his people were being killed in Vietnam because he was he, he was nominated for the Nobel Prize for Peace in 1972 by Martin Luther King because he was bringing together the North and the South, trying to get them to understand each other. Now, that's really, that's the true understanding of our inner process and how transformation happens. That's what I'm teaching, really, experientially. So I think it's, you know, it's, there are some people that are not open to listening to another point of view. So the people who I would call fundamentalists are people who are completely identified with their beliefs, their beliefs and who they are. Those are the people that stormed the the Capitol, that they're the ones who actually believe that they're patriots. They actually believe they were doing something for America. Believe it or not, they actually believe that. And so are they going to listen to me? Hell no. Unlikely. I don't think they're saying, yeah, I want to have an ecumenical dialogue. I want to understand your point of view. But until we get more people, more of a balance, and even like we get rid of Fox News or get a different kind of news that a lot of the Americans are listening to that actually gives them a, a more balanced perspective of facts, you know, things are going to be difficult. And that's so how we communicate. I agree with you, Jason, how we communicate, how we listen, how we respond is essential. So thank you for your feedback. I appreciate that. And I learned something. I learned something from you. I really appreciate it. And I'm learning all the time. And I think 
that's really where when we can really hear somebody else's experience, you know what that happens? Their heart opens up. It's like, you can't just say, well, you know, Biden, like, well, well, why are you supporting this? Like, what is it that you think this guy's going to give you? What is it that you're not getting in your life? You know, what, what is it that so that we start to understand and start to learn how to take care of each other? Because I think now, especially with COVID and more than ever, I hope that we're learning how important we all are to each other, how important we need each other. We really do. And I and I hope and I see from my perspective and my work with the countless people that I work with is that I would say that there is an absolute emergence of consciousness happening in the species that we are evolving in consciousness as a species. Whether we survive or not is questionable, but I absolutely believe we are evolving. And so, yeah, that was a long answer. <laughs> Jeff. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, sure. I think that what we truly want as human beings is to love and be loved unconditionally. Hmm. There is no greater fulfillment than to be at peace. There is no greater fulfillment than to feel like you don't need anything, that you don't, that you're actually alive and fulfilled that's what i was talking about that true practice you know engenders engagement and, and, and this is engagement right this is we're here we're 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 learning we're meeting each other we're we're facing each other and so that's that's everything in my life is relationship and learning to listen and and you know i'm married i've i've been with my husband for 10 years um uh my dear friend Ajishanti, if you know him did our wedding and, you know, I, he's very, my husband's very different than me. He's very, very sensitive. I'm in your face kind of person. I, you know, he's, you know, I'm an extra reason to So I have had, I have learned, I've been forced to learn to be more sensitive to just, I've had to learn to listen in ways that wasn't my background because in my background, you had to scream to be heard because mm-hmm. everybody was interrupting everybody and everybody was yelling and screaming. It was a very toxic, volatile, emotional environment. And so, you know, I'm, John is, he's slowly maturing. He's slowly becoming a kinder, more sensitive person. And, you know, 68, I, I, I feel like as a human being, we have our whole life to continually learn and mature and develop. Spiritually, what I saw did happen and is very much a part of my life. And I'm grateful for that, but it didn't make John a perfect guy. <laughs> it it may it, it made John more aware of a lot of things and continues to. So that's that's the real blessing. That's what Brother David meant. He said the purpose of spirituality is to become a human being. That's why in the Zen ox herding pictures, if you've seen those, the first part of the path is going up to the mountaintop. The second part of the path is coming back to the marketplace. And that's what I'm teaching is how to be in the marketplace. First, how to get to the mountaintop. And then how to be in the marketplace. That's the whole journey. And that's what our life is. So I'm learning all the time. I have never been more engaged. I have never been more fulfilled. I have never been more wanting to be alive. And I've also never been more at peace. So it's all here at the same time, honestly. Lama Rod said that sometimes Dharma isn't pretty. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. No, it's, it's very important. It's, it's so hard. And I encourage people to tell the truth about hardness. People, I love it when people say, I can't, I, I can't meditate. I hate meditation. I go, Oh, great. Thank you for saying that. Cause you know, half the people in the room are feeling that to actually be present and sit still. That's, that's pretty hard. Uh, it's, and the process of learning is 
you know, the evolution, true evolution of transformation is literally nothing less than the, the breaking through of the paradigm of our security, of our insecurity, excuse me, that a lot of what keeps us held in as an identity is the need to be in control and to survive. So as we're evolving in consciousness, that paradigm starts to get broken through and it's very scary and it's very painful all along the way. That's so it's very important to be told the truth about that and to and to trust that and, and recognize it. Otherwise one may still stay try to stay in control with uh in a lot of different ways. So we learn to allow vulnerability. We learn to hi Mark. Mark? Hi, hi thank you. Sure. Um I I um I'm trying to figure out how I want to say what I want to say, so kind of bear with me. But there is, uh, and I've been focusing a lot on right speech in my own practice, and the the the, the notion of staying up for, you know, for being expressed, say, is being your, yourself, and staying up for justice, like you described in yourself, and so forth. So on. the question I'm, I'm it's sometimes the question. I, I guess the issue I'm raising is. When is the right time to do it? How do you do it? Where do you do it? Well, of course. And, and it's, may, I, may I complete? May I finish, please? Uh, and that is that uh, it is for me at times, and my, I'm just describing my own projection onto others. It can feel like an entitlement. I'm aggrieved, therefore I can speak however I please, wherever I please, how often I please, in the tone I please. And I, that's the piece I sometimes have some issue with. You can tell that because you can hear the, the, the motion of my voice. And so I, I think the thing that I sometimes try to I straddle is, you know, when it is that I, I raise my voice, um, fuck you, not you personally. I'm talking about your, your back when you were a child at 16 years old. You know, so the thing is, is, you know, you know, how do you do that? And I, and I so appreciate what Jason was saying earlier because I think at least in my path, is how to be skillful, how to be skillful about these things. I, I appreciate, so I, you know, I appreciate your, your bringing that into your conversation. But um, anyway, that's just, those are some of the thoughts that I had. And oh, I think it's because I'm, the way I'm speaking. Thank you. Oh, no, thank you so much. I thank you for bringing it into that frame. I wasn't, when Jason first brought up, I wasn't, it, it hadn't clicked yet and understanding where he was coming from and understanding where we were going. But I totally agree with you. And I totally agree with Jason, actually, 100 percent that we that. Yeah, I'm not 16 anymore. <laughs> and um, and so uh, but I also think it's important to give ourselves permission to make mistakes. And to be willing to uh, take criticism and feedback, I think it's very, very important. I, I invite people, you know, to give me criticism or give me feedback and because I know I'm any, anything but perfect and I can say things that are harmful in inadvertently and unconsciously. And I know that my friends and people who love me are going to tell me. And so otherwise it gets in the way. So I think the, I agree with you that the number one goal for all of us is how we communicate. And so much of what I was trying to share in the, in the talk I was giving was how we communicate with ourselves internally in our journey. Is essential, so that's why compassion. That's exactly right. So, of course, compassion, forgiveness, permission, and not being right, not making conclusions. Of course, these are all really, really important. Is there a time to speak out? You know, 
Yeah, I guess that's a great question today. I don't, I don't, I don't know how, when it's skillful, when it isn't. That's a good question. I haven't really thought about that, honestly. Um, I'm not on the street yelling anymore. I was, I was young when I was doing that. <laughs> and I realized as in the, in the peace movement of the sixties that if I, if I couldn't find peace in here, how could I possibly create it out there? So I went in. That's what happened. Grisha? Thank you. It's Grisha. Um, yeah, thank you. And, um, I appreciate all this. This is a great talk and I really appreciate what everyone's saying. And, um, I tried to take the practice into my, you know, take it out into the real world last week, uh, last week's teacher, I think it was, who said, um, like speak up, uh, you know, share your perspective and then, um, but don't expect it to change. Like you're saying, like, don't have an end game, like share your perspective, but don't, don't expect to persuade someone. And, uh, and he actually said like, I would, he, his personal experience was like, just say it once. <laughs> and then, cause you're not going to persuade the unpersuadable, just like you're saying, like, if it's a, if, you know, I'm not going to one conversation, I'm not going to turn a Trumper into a, uh, a liberal. So, um, I went to our principal with like this, we were having a, an issue at work in our union. I, I spoke first, I spoke up first from our union perspective with our principal. And I said very kindly and compassionately and almost tearfully what we were going through, what our perspective was. And, um, and he just, you know, he heard us and didn't change anything. So, mm -hmm. um, then everybody else is like, fuck, you know, like they're ready to revolt and we are doing like a union um, action, but yeah, it's always that fine line between like speaking up, stepping up and then like, not just like that. The thing I've always heard, like an expectation is a premeditated resentment. It's like, if I expect you to change your whole view because of something I said, then I would love to respond to that. Thank you so much. You know, I just realized that what I was trying to say and what there's, there's two levels here that I was really talking about. I think what I'm trying to say, it's so important to let the movement of that anger and rage move through you in a way that's not harmful to yourself or others. Whether you speak it out or express it, that's a whole different subject. I'm actually, and I'm a, I'm somebody who's, teaches self-healing and the problem that most people have is that they've learned to repress their feelings. Yes. Are you going to, is it, is it appropriate to repress it towards your boss? Yes. <laughs> is it, is it, is appropriate to hold back something like that in a context that's not appropriate? Of course. But then do you just stuff it or do you find a place in your own inner work, whether it's with your therapist or in your meditation or your own inner healing work where you can vent that, where you can express it so that energy doesn't stay stuck in your system and you don't hurt yourself or anybody else. I think emotional healing work is essential. And that's what I was more responding to with Jason, because this is where I see so many people's uh, stuckness on their path is that they can have a certain degree of awakening or insight, but because they haven't been able to allow deeper levels of trauma to come up and be released and integrated in them, they're, they're still, they still feel separate. They still feel disconnected. So this is why I emphasize this in my work that, that actually from my perspective, understanding self healing or true emotional healing, self healing is no different than the process of supporting realization. They're identical. But I agree. Is there a time and place? Absolutely.
Is there skillful means in communicating? Totally. Uh, do we, and, and I am, I am trying to learn how to be a better communicator and a better listener, even though you can tell I interrupt occasionally. I'm sorry. Um, that can I, can I say something? I really apologize for interrupting. No, no, I, I don't mind. I don't, I don't mind being, well, sometimes okay. I do. No, I don't mind. I, I, I guess I'm swimming against the current, but you were a 16 year old kid with this big authority figure supported by all of society and possibly your, your parents too. No. Trying to make you wrong. There is something to be said for fierce energy. And I think it's been, it's being dissed right now. Um, I, I think your, your response was totally appropriate. There is a time where if you feel like you're being spiritually abused, you have to stand up and push back. And you know, I, I had that was I, 1969, <laughs> Jason. That was yeah. long before your generation evolved to the level of your understanding. And I, and, no, and I don't mean to patronize, but I do think that it was a different time period, honestly. It was. I do think that matters to some degree. Yeah. So I, I just want to put in a word for fierce energy. It could be, it can be taken, done wrong and it come out as anger or hate rather than just pushing back on somebody who's trying to, to, uh, knowingly or unknowingly damage you. And, um, That's right. it, it seems like, okay, I'm going to calm down. No, no, I, I'm with you. I, like I, I, I hear just, you. It seems like you've been getting the, and I, we all have different opinions, and that's totally cool. But it seems like you've been getting the message that what you did was was inappropriate, and I think it was totally. Fucking oh, I don't. I don't hear that message at all. I just okay, am asking. Wrong. I, I don't hear. The, I don't hear from from Mark or from Jason a judgment of the sixteen-year-old's behavior. Then no, I don't hear that at all. All right. I, well, all I heard was okay. You're you've got the perspective you have now. How would you handle this now? And I didn't quite. It didn't go in yet. So I. I was more still responding to who I was in the circumstances then, which is what you're saying, Clint. But no, no, no. I think that today, I mean, yeah, I, if I, if I, if I, I can't say what I'd say to somebody in that position, but let, I, yeah, that's, it's almost, it's too, it's too much of a mental space for me to try to even conceptualize it. But uh, I, I would like to simplify it and just simply say, that the way I see it, there's the, as I said, the emotional healing work that we're individually responsible for and learning how to work with that. And then to learn how to be skillful in speech so that we get the results we're looking for, honestly. So that if you're looking for, if you're looking for people to work together and to have teamwork, and I'm a team player, I, I, I have a whole team of people that works with me. I love teamwork. Uh, I'm much, I'm much more of a collaborator. I'm not a, I'm not a tell you what to do kind of person. I'm much more of a collaborating kind of person. So I, I actually am very engaged in communicating with others and listening and finding a way to build what we're building together. That to me is how, how, how healthy community develops. And so even in our community here, we're doing it and I love it. I appreciate it. So I, and I'm, I've learned something. I thought, thank you for telling me that. That gives me another perspective on, of course, right speech is important. Of course, how we treat others is essential. How we can, how we, you know, one of the things I learned was the meaning of your communication is the response it elicits, not the intention you had behind it. So if you give somebody a compliment and they take it as an insult, it's an insult. And if you try to tell them, no, 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 it was, it was a compliment. No, it was an insult. <laughs> and so the most important thing to have in, in, in this world is a flexible mind. 
is a flexible way of thinking. If I didn't have that, I wouldn't be able to listen to Jason and hear what he said. I wouldn't be able to listen to Mark and hear what he said. I think having a flexible mind and seeing, oh, there's so there's infinite kinds of perspectives, aren't there? Each and every one of us has a different perspective all the time. That's how amazing the mind is. Well, I'm just saying, of all the options, how to respond, uh, one of many options is to fiercely hold your ground. You know, I think there is a place for that, obviously. And so uh, I, I'm with you. So I'm, all, I'm all for fierceness. I just was uh, t- wanting to talk about it because I think we all have that 16-year-old boy inside of us that wants to say fuck you at certain points in times. But part of this whole Buddhist cultivation for me is asking the question of how do I actually be an adult and acknowledge my 16-year-old but also transform that fierce 16-year-old energy into more... Well, I would say... If I can, that's, that's what I'm just trying to acknowledge. I would like to respond to you, Jason. I'd say whatever way that, that, that you manage to do that, the only thing I would say is be sure that how you doing that isn't repressing and stuffing that energy into your system. Thank you. Yeah, that's I'm what I'm trying to say. I'm saying I'm wanting to recognize that 16 year old, but I don't want that 16 year old boy. But a lot of people, keep, but I don't want him to keep taking him over me. You know what I'm Got saying? It. I understand I, that. A lot I, of us can have, you know, we have lived in a culture right now of obnoxious and we have a lot of immature mentalities going on. And so what I'm just trying to do is acknowledge that, okay, we all were like, yeah, that fuck you to that person at 16. But where is that coming from? Is that coming from our 16 year old self or is that coming from an adult right. perspective right. of like, yeah, I'm going to stay fierce but I'm going to do that in a way that's appropriate. Right. I, I understand that. And I agree with that. All I'm saying is that when instead of lashing out at somebody or acting out, as it were, I would say be kind and thoughtful and considerate when you're interacting with that person. And in your own space and time, in a place where you can work on yourself, you get in touch with that feeling, not as an intellectual perspective, because that's going to stuff it in you, but in such a way that that energy can move through your system as energy, not as thought, not as story, not as the content of what you're reacting to at all, but more that that energy needs to move through you because emotion is the natural weather system of the human being. And if we don't let that flow, we end up getting sick. I guess the challenge is that you don't know me and I'm actually a very visceral person. So I actually need to be on the opposite end of actually learning how to. So are you saying that you can in a healthy way? So you, so are you able to in a healthy way channel and, and move your emotional energy without hurting yourself or out hurting others? That's what I'm saying. That's what I am working on because I am already well, then, attached then to my come to, come to my class. You'll, you'll learn. So this is, me, this is what we're working on. <laughs> this is, this is what I work on all the time. This is exactly the area that I work with people. Absolutely. I'd love to have you. You'd be great. I love your energy. It's great. I would just say maybe saying fuck you to, to this therapist was the most kind thing you could do to him. Like maybe he could just step back a little and, and reevaluate where he's coming from rather than just be on autopilot outing this stuff. So I think fuck you has an appropriate place at times in, in, as the wake up call to somebody. He's probably not around anymore to ask him how it impacted him, if he even uh, remembers it happening. Well, may not, but I think rather than just saying, oh, all right, fine, I'm just going to go somewhere else. That was a well, wake up call. And I, and I, and whether you're 16 or whether you're age right now, well, Clint, only appropriate response. Thank you. Thank you. For, to say fuck you without saying fuck you. That's all I'm trying to say. Well, you know, it, I think yeah, exactly. And I think that, that um I hear you, Jason, and I get where you're coming from, and I get what you want and need, 
And the, we don't have the time to have the interaction I'd like to have with you about this more in depth, but I would love to. So if there's any chance where we, you and I have that, let's, let's let that happen. I need to go, but I just, I'm so well, glad I just to say that. I just want to reference the women, the movie, the women. So at the end of that, right, the great line is that, you know, there are names for women like you, but they only use that outside of kennel. They don't, you know, that isn't used for outside of kennels. So she's calling them a bitch, right? So we have lost that skillful way of talking that we can actually say, fuck you, but without having to say it in that way. Okay, I, I am. So I if, if you close on a very gay note by referencing the women. So I, I'm sure I have, I, I'm sure I have a lot to learn about being more skillful with how I speak. And I'm, and I'm always interested in learning how to be more skillful. And I appreciate the ability to learn from you, Jason. Honestly, I mean this sincerely and honestly. And I so appreciate your feedback. And input. It, it's, uh, I'm, I'm going to learn from this, honestly. And I hope I get to see you again. I, it was great to see you guys. I really enjoyed our time together. And, um, uh, I don't know how you close the meeting eventually, but I, I need to go and, and take care of other stuff now. All right. But thank you, John. It's, it's, been, it's been a real pleasure. Yeah. You guys take great care of yourselves. Lots of love, honestly. Lots of love and happy trails. Thank you for listening to the Gay Buddhist Forum. If you would like to hear several new talks per month and be notified of upcoming speakers so you can participate live, please subscribe to this podcast, like us on Facebook, and join our mailing list by visiting gaybuddhist.org.